morning anthem. Uh, you've probably heard this passage if you've been to some, some weddings and stuff, right? So today we're, we're hitting on marriage. We've been walking through the stewarded life and, and hitting on these different aspects of um, ways that we can steward our life uh, for the good of God, the glory of God, and the good of others. And we're going to be sitting in Ephesians 5 today just a little bit. And there was a lot of ways that I was trying to figure out how to take this message. Matt originally gave me marriage. He had my name on the document. And I was like, Matt, I am just got a lot to learn here. That was, that was kind of what I was feeling with this. And um, just praying through where to go with this and was doing everything in my being to not just quote Princess Bride and Little Rascals as I was doing that. And, um, and as I sat in this passage that we just read, there was something that the Lord just started to well up in my heart. Because uh, these first 10 verses there that you'll notice that Paul, it, it's, a, it's the wife's relation to the husband and the husband's relation to the wife. And it talks about submission and it talks about love and talks about sanctifying. But he anchors this in something very specific in the, the end of it there. And he kind of has it thread all the way down through. He consistently has this correlation between the husband and wife's relationship between his relationship with the church, his bride. And, and he ends it there saying, this mystery is profound, I'm, I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for 10 verses, and then says, this is profound, and I'm making it really clear, this refers to Christ in the church. And that was where I really felt the weightiness of this text. I've done a few different weddings now, and I've sat in this text. I've done this text at weddings, but sitting in it in this way, it's really convicted myself. Because I think in our marriages, not at all times, but at times we can, we can operate out of disconnectedness and disappointment in our marriages. Where you know your spouse, Right? You know what bugs them, you know what frustrates them, you know what makes them happy, you know what cereal they want, you know they're going to want dessert right before bed, hypothetically. You, you know all these things about them. You know, know, but you feel disconnected. And you feel like you're missing. Again, it's not at all times, but, but how does that happen when it's like, I know you so well, but we just can't make it click? Or, or, or disappointed, where the, the, the person that it's easiest to get frustrated with, I think spouses, if you raise your hand, at times it's your spouse is the person that it's easiest to get frustrated with or disappointed in, or maybe you're operating from a spot of you, you feel like you're letting someone down consistently. And I think today I'm going to step on wives' toes, I'm going to step on husbands' toes, and my toes have been stepped on as well, so we're just all going to step on each other's toes today with this text. Of, of how are we supposed to operate in a marriage? And what I mean by operate is how do we connect relationally? I, I think this starts with seeing how Jesus interacts relationally with us. How Jesus interacts relationally with his bride. And, and moving from a, from a spot of disconnectedness and disappointment to actually what we see throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus' operation with his bride, his relational interaction is delight 
and depth. He operates in a, in a, in a depth and delight in his love for his bride. And, and what I want us to see today is that this is what we're called to steward as husbands and wives. This is how we're called to steward our marriages. See, our, our marriages aren't just something where we come together and it's just a joy to have, a pleasure that we get to enjoy here on earth, but it is meant to be a reflection of the gospel. It is meant to be a reflection of depth and delight. There's a, there's a good quote, uh, um, kind of my framework for this sermon pulled a lot from is a book called Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland. And he has a quote in there that says, human marriage has always been intended by God to serve as a prophetic whisper of the eternal marriage. Every marriage in the world today makes that statement to some degree. However weakly, because that is what marriage is. Very few realities in our lives bear such a sacred meaning and deserve such special consideration. There's something I just want us to walk away with. The one thing today, it's to feel the weight that our human marriage is meant to reflect the eternal marriage. Our human marriage is meant to reflect the eternal marriage. And I want to start by hitting on that mystery aspect. Paul says this mystery is profound. This mystery is profound. And then, and then from there, building on depth and delight. What does that actually look like when you understand that mystery more, when we see, see how God interacts with his bride? What does it look like for spouses to interact in depth? What does it look like for spouses to interact in delight with one another? So first, what is that mystery aspect that Paul is talking about? He references this four different times in Ephesians, this mystery. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6. Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 10, says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So, so catch that there. He says, he makes known to us the mystery of his will. Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 6 says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Why was it given? How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, he gets really clear here. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Hold on to that one members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's, here's the mystery. Here it is. That the plan for the fullness of time has been set forth and accomplished in Christ. Salvation has come. What the prophets were talking about from the beginning, the, from the very first covenant God made with Abraham that said, you will have inheritance as numerous as the stars, has been fulfilled in Christ. 
salvation has come. And we get to look back on that. And when we place faith in that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to take hold of that salvation. That's the mystery. Prophets didn't understand this. David, as he's writing Psalms, didn't understand this in full. Isaiah, as he's writing, didn't understand this in full. Ezekiel didn't understand this in full. All these prophets didn't understand this in full. Paul says, we now see this in full, fulfilled in Christ Jesus on the cross. The mystery has been revealed. And then we get to Ephesians 5. And he hits mystery again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So why does he, why does he jump to marriage then? Well, all throughout Scripture... We continue to see a correlation, this metaphor for marriage in God's pursuit of his people. If you've read the, the book of Hosea, the, the whole book is an allegory of, of Hosea pursuing his bride, Gomer. He goes, he, she's a prostitute, and he goes and purchases her. And he brings her in, and she, get, she continues to leave him and go be unfaithful. And he goes back and gets her, and she goes and be unfaithful, and he goes back and gets her. And, the, and this is an allegory between God's pursuit of his people and the continued unfaithfulness of Israel to turn their back from him. And he continues to faithfully pursue as Hosea pursued his bride, Gomer. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is the name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Isaiah 62, 5, for as a man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices with the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. We see it with Jesus in, in Matthew 25. He actually gives this, when the kingdom come, he's making a, a correlation between uh, when a wife is waiting for her bridegroom and the bridegroom's going to show up. And he's saying, this is what it's like. The bride waiting. The husband pursuing. So back to Paul. Right, he makes this, this straight correlation, this mystery is profound, and it refers to Christ and the church. Genesis 2.24 is actually what he's quoting there. He does, he does an exact quote of Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is profound. This right here, this Genesis 2.24, going all the way back to creation, this is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I'm saying that it refers to when you place faith in Christ, you are now a member of his body. You are one with Jesus. You're brought into the body of Christ, and we are co-heirs with Jesus, adopted in and for me, this is when I really started to feel the weight. It's like my, so you're, you're telling me that my marriage with my wife, my oneness with my wife is meant to reflect my oneness with my Savior? It's like, whew. Like, like, I genuinely, like, yesterday, like, had to have a sit down with my wife, Rachel, and was like, hey, like, and it wasn't like a, hey, you're doing this wrong. It's like, I need to just confess and repent because, this is weighty. 
to think that, that our marriage is meant to reflect God's pursuit of his bride, God's pursuit of me, God's pursuit of you, the oneness that I have with Jesus, that, that he bought me on the cross and that I'm now unified with him. That's, that's what we're supposed to reflect it, in that Genesis 2.24 reference. That's what Paul is saying right here. Out of any human relationship, the gospel is most tangibly displayed in marriage. That's not saying it's not displayed in friendship. That's not saying it's not displayed in the body's love for one another. But it is most tangibly grasped and displayed in marriage. Because two will become one flesh in the same way that when we place faith in Jesus, we are engrafted into his body and we become one with him. That's weighty. Our human marriages are meant to reflect that eternal marriage. See, we should not think of Christ and the church as a metaphor for our human marriage, but our marriages are a metaphor for the picture of the true marriage. And there's two aspects that I really want to hit on in Christ's relation to the church and, and his pursuit of his bride and our relation to our spouse. Depth and delight. See, we need to start with the mystery, start with understanding that, start with seeing more clearly the mystery that it's, has been revealed in Jesus. Because when that starts to become sweeter, it's going to translate more sweetly into your marriage. But if we have a shallow understanding of that, if we have a shallow understanding of God's pursuit of us, God's depth with us, God's delight in us, the mystery of the gospel, we have a shallow understanding of that, it's going to have a shallow correlation into our marriages. Why? Because as we will see true depth and delight, the, the linchpin for these two to, to actually bring depth and delight together is unconditional love. Like you, it, you can't have it. A supernatural, unconditional love is the only way you can actually get to depth, fully knowing, and delight, fully loving and enjoying. And if we have a shallow understanding of that ourselves, it's going to be hard to translate that into our marriages. So, so how does God pursue his bride in depth? What does that mean? How, how can we move from disconnected to depth? What do we see with Jesus continually? What do we see with God continually as he hits the heart? Over and over and over again, he's pursuing our heart. He wants our heart. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. If there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Know my heart. Know my heart. Psalm 51, is, as David is repenting for his sin with Bathsheba, says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You delight in the inward being. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. 
you will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God cares about the heart. David writes it so clear here. There's, there's not an outward sacrifice I can give you or I would. He, he's like, I would do it, but I can't. All you care about is the inward being. All you care about is the heart. All you care about is that I have a broken and contrite heart before you. You will not despise that, and you do not delight in sacrifice. And what do we see from our Savior Jesus over and over again? He's drawing out the heart of people. He calls the, the Pharisees whitewash tombs. He says, on the outside you look good, you look white, you look shiny, and you were dead on the inside. At the woman at the well, he sits and he draws out her heart. He, he provokes, he asks questions. Anytime he references lust, coveting, murder, he references the heart. Jesus always goes after the heart. God cares about the heart of his bride. God cares about the heart of his people. God cares about your heart. He doesn't care about your outward sacrifice. He doesn't care about your doing. He wants your heart. That's what he asked for. That's depth. And that means dealing with the stuff going on inside of our heart. Lord, search me and know me. Bring up these things that I don't want to deal with. This is how God pursues his bride in depth. This is how we're called to pursue our spouses in depth. All right, this is why I think it's so easy to know all these outward things and feel so disconnected at times. Because it's hard to sit and ask the questions and understand what's going on inside. What's going on on the heart? Are we drawing out the heart of our spouse? Again, there's a difference between knowing how they're going to respond to a situation and knowing why they responded that way. Because there's, there's heart-level things that are going on with any response that we have to stuff. And this is where connection actually comes through, is through depth and drawing out the heart. They aren't just upset because you didn't put the laundry away. That's an at at me subtweet. They're not just upset about that. Or they're not just upset about the, the offhanded comment to the friend or just this little thing they're frustrated. There is heart-level things and heart-level wants and heart-level needs that are being missed and need to be drawn out. Uh, there's two really good paragraphs. They're, they're kind of lengthy, but one is for the husband here, and one is for the wife, and they're so good. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to read them. So this one is, is for the husband about the wife. It says, For the husband, remember that God made Eve from Adam for Adam, as his dear partner in life to help him follow the divine call. But now, in our broken world of today, deep in the heart of every wife is the self-doubt that wonders, do I please him? Am I the one he dreamed of and longed for? Will he love me to the end? Am I safe with this married man? Will he cast me off? 
Even if we go to the distance, will he get tired of me? A wise husband will understand that uncertainty, that question is way down deep in the wife's heart. And he will spend his life speaking into it. Gently and tenderly communicating to her in many ways. Darling, you are the one I want. I cherish you. I rejoice over you as no other. The thought of living without you is horrible to me. I love the thought of growing old together with you, hand in hand, all the way. I will hold you close to my heart until my dying day. He's saying this is what's going on in the heart. And the husband will tenderly cultivate that. Will tenderly speak in. Will tenderly draw out. For the wife, the next quote. Remember that God made Adam first and put him in the garden with a job to do, a mission to, to fulfill, a mountain to climb. But now in our broken world of today, deep in the heart of every man is self-doubt that wonders, am I man enough to meet this challenge God has called me to? Can I fulfill my destiny? Won't I end up failing? Is there any point in even trying? That question is way down deep inside the heart of every husband. A wise wife will understand that as she will spend her life speaking into it, communicating to her husband in many ways, honey, I believe in you. I know you can follow God's call by God's grace for God's glory. The Lord is with you and so am I. Let's go for it. A wise wife will never put her husband down or laugh at him, but will greatly strengthen him and build him up for God's glory. He will accomplish more by the power of respect, power of her respect than he ever could on his own. In the same way that Jesus speaks these truths in us, we have God's word to look at, to, to, to see that the way that Jesus speaks in us, we are called to speak these truths into our spouse, to show this love to our spouse, to encourage our spouse, to draw out the heart of our spouse and say, hey, are these the questions that you're asking right now? And actually, I'm sorry that I have not done a great job of affirming you in these things and showing you these ways that I do love you, that I do delight in you, that I do want you, or that I do respect you, and I do believe in you, and I do trust you. Depth is cultivated. Right? It's easy in this area, especially with marriage, to sit back and almost be passive because it's like, okay, we spend, like, I'll see him at dinner tonight, and I'll see him in the morning, and we'll have breakfast together, and we'll see each other all weekend, and to try to just fall into these conversations. It's, it's really easy to take that backseat passive route versus actively cultivating, actively speaking in, actively asking the question, actively being present in the way that Jesus was with so many people amidst the chaos and amidst the crowd, he would sit down and he would look. He would draw out the heart. It's what Jesus does with his bride. It's what Jesus does with you. It's what you're called to do with your spouse. It's how we're called to love our spouse. And, and here's the thing with that. There could be a woundedness with going there based on past relationships, based on what you've experienced. Because the, the, the thing with vulnerability is it actually means like a, a nakedness and exposure. Like you're opening yourself up and someone can poke that, someone can hit that, someone can hurt that. So as spouses, we need to understand that and allow for environments where vulnerability can be cultivated well 
but also understanding we have to take those steps of vulnerability. And maybe it's actually just being open and saying like, hey, this is hard for me to be open. This is hard for me to talk. But that's how you cultivate depth is you have the conversations. You draw out the heart. You ask the questions. You create environments where those questions can be asked and spoken into. And it is all on the basis. You can't for this, it, forget this. It is on the basis of Jesus' depth with you of the depth of God drawing out your heart. We do that with our spouse. And again, I'm going to keep referencing this. The, this hangs on unconditional love. Because what's the response to depth? Like, with depth, like, you don't get deeper and it's like, wow, this is awesome. Like, you're just like, you're everything I ever dreamed of. It's like, no, you get deeper and you see the impurities. You see the hard things. You see the things like, I don't know if I really want to deal with that. You, you see a lot of goodness. You see a lot of great things. But you also, you see the harder aspects of that. And as we dive deep into the heart, this is why it hangs on unconditional love because we dive in. And what's Jesus' response to when he dives in with us? Delight. Delight. It is why it is a supernatural work of grace and unconditional love. God does not look at us in disappointment, but he looks at us in delight. And that's not because he's shallow. That's not because he doesn't see. That's because he loves you and has chosen you and wants relationship with you because of you. In Deuteronomy, it tells Israel, I have chosen you not because you're great, not because you're awesome, but because I have chosen you. He just wants you, and he delights in you. He delights in the inward being. Jesus has delight for his bride. Ephesians 1, 18, it says, Having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, they may, they may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's saying, I'm praying here that, that their eyes may be open to see God's glorious inheritance in the saints. God pictures us as a glorious inheritance. What the heck? Me? His glorious inheritance in the saints. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was that joy? you, me, relationship with his bride, reconciliation with his bride. That was the joy set before him, was the delight of reconciling with his church. Isaiah 62, 4 says, you shall no more be termed forsaken in your land, shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. Like, it, he's like saying a statement there, but he's saying, this is so true of you, it is your name. You shall be called, my delight is in her. In your land, married, for the Lord delights in you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God takes delight in you. Delight in your spouse 
will start from a spot of faith to trust in God's delight in you. It, it takes a faith, it does, it takes faith to trust that the God of the universe, the creator that sees me and knows me fully and deeply, can actually delight in me. That takes faith to believe in his goodness. Do you have the faith to trust that? Because your, your delight in your spouse will start from that spot. As we see God look into the depths of the heart, he, he chooses to delight. In the same way, when we peek into the depths of our spouse's heart, we're called to delight. Not to be disappointed, not be frustrated, but in delight. Depth is not choosing the parts you like and trying to fix the ones you don't. It is taking it all in and delighting in it all because it's what God does with you. So what does this look like? Practically, just like delighting in our spouse. There's just the one, like, Romans, like, give honor where honor is due. Like, we, we see our spouses, you, you see them the morning, night, weekend, and it's, a, it's really easy to, like, when you see them that much, to just, like, yeah, I see that thing wrong, I see that thing wrong, I see that thing wrong, versus, like, honor. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for making dinner. Thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you for doing this thing. Just, like, honoring like just like practical etiquette? Are you communicating delight to the other people in your life that you aren't communicating to your spouse? Giving your spouse just compliments in front of other people. Like I like, it's, you, you don't really realize it until you see a couple do it, but like when you see a married couple just like complimenting each other in front of one another instead of like just like little marks that are kind of like passive and kind of funny but to see a couple just like no like they do this really well it's like actually like for me one of the coolest things to see because it's so easy to do the opposite it's so easy to just kind of have the little passive snide remark but are you honoring your spouse and just in front of other people like are you delighting in them in front of other people another aspect of delight is just date your spouse Date your spouse. Woo them. Enjoy relationship. Revelation 19 says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen. She's getting dressed up. Where is the bride? We're getting dressed up for Jesus' return. And then Revelation 21, and it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus is waiting for us, his church, his bride. And I heard a loud throne, voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the eternal marriage that we reflect. This is the eternal marriage we have to wait to reflect. One day Jesus is going to return. And it, here's the thing with this, it's why I even put it in dating your spouse. It's not just like, oh, like God's going to come back. It's kind of like black and white screen. He ascend, descends, like, okay, we're good. Sin's been cast out, and we're living now. 
It is a glorious affair. There is a feast. The bride is dressed up. The bride is adorned, ready to be taken by her husband. There's something with that of like God delights. Delight in your spouse. Woo your spouse. Get your spouse dressed up. Go out on a date night. Whatever that is for you. But what, what does it look like to just have this like, I'm not just going to live a black and white Jesus ascending, but one day reflecting that aspect of the true marriage, the eternal marriage one day. How can you reflect that in your marriage today? Of just what it looks like to just enjoy one another. We're going to feast with God one day, King of kings, Lord of lords, and what does it look like now to just reflect that in your marriages, in just the little things? One of my favorite examples of this, uh, my, my grandfather-in-law, he did such a good job at dating his spouse, and he passed away a couple years ago, and so we just doing a lot of um, just remembering him. And what he would often do is just, like, write poetry. Like, this is, like, into his, like, 70s, 80s, 90s. So just, like, write poetry. And this is one example. His wife's name was Martha. Said, Martha, dear, be of good cheer. To Bob and Cindy's I've gone. To work and toil on trees and soil. To victory over those jobs I've won. Lovingly, Don. P.S., come over if you have time. <laughs> but it's just like, he's like, hey, I'm going... He, he could have wrote a note that said, hey, I'm headed to our daughter and sons to do some mulch and stuff. Come over if you have time. But he knew that his spouse just loved notes, loved poetry, and he just wanted to love her in that way. So he would just write her poems. He knew her love language. He wanted to delight in her. He wanted to woo her. He wanted to date his spouse into his 80s and 90s. And that started from his love with the Lord. That started from the delight that he saw that Jesus had in him. It started from that foundation of the gospel. And here's the thing. That's like, as I was reading that, I'm like, why do I get so emotional when I read that? Like, A, like, just miss him. But also, like, that's just the gospel display. Like, seeing, like, his delight in Martha, like, 70 years into their marriage. And just these little things, it's like, that is actually a reflection of, like, the fingerprints of God on my life. Like, all these little ways that he's like, hey, I'm providing for you here, and I love you in this way, and I want to cherish you in this way. Like, that's what it is. It's like these fingerprints of God. And how are we reflecting that in our relationships with our spouses? Just in the little ways. So like, hey, I love you. I delight in you. I affirm you. Just the little things that you know your spouse feels loved in and seen by. That, to, to, to have that true delight, again, there has to be an experience of the unconditional love that God has for you. The, 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 to have the true depth and delight of the gospel, to display that to your spouse, that starts from the foundation of, man, I see the unconditional love and grace that God has towards me. And it doesn't make sense, and I don't deserve it. But I get the privilege to, to try and display this to, to my spouse. I get the, the, the privilege to try and reflect this to my friends, to my kids, to my family, to a broken world. This unconditional 
love that allows me to go deep into relationship, allows me to see, it allows us to see the heart and allows us to fully delight. Because it's not based on condition, it's not based on what you find when you go in depth, but it's based on just loving the person, loving the being. This mystery is profound. It is a mystery. You can't cognitively make sense of it. This mystery of oneness is profound, and it's saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Depth and delight is one of the greatest displays of the gospel. Delight in shallow relationships is not impressive because you don't see the impurities. And to move towards depth and delight, it takes a supernatural work because we all have stuff. And of all the earthly relationships, this is most tangibly seen in marriage. Because of Genesis 2.24, they will become one flesh in the same way that we are grafted into the body of Christ. This unconditional love that we display in marriage is a sweet, it's a dim, we don't do it perfectly, a dim, but a sweet reflection to your kids. It's a sweet reflection to your family. It's a sweet reflection to your friends. It's a sweet reflection to a lost world. And we feel a weight to steward that as husbands and wives. So here's just three questions to end that you can ask. One is for yourself. I don't know if these are on the screen or not. That's okay if they're not. I got my slides in a little late. It's my fault. What is your kids, family, and friends' experience of your depth and delight in your spouse? Asking, like, what is their perception? What's my kids' perception of my depth and delight in my spouse, my family, my friends? That one's for you. And, and then asking your spouse this question. And, like, and genuinely asking it, not just looking for the, hey, like, hey, give me the good stuff. How have I done in cultivating depth with you? And asking, how have I done in delighting in you? And if you feel like you can't be honest in, in those, there's probably a little bit something there in the depth aspect, right? Of the, the ability to vulnerably go deep. So one, again, one is for yourself. What's, what your, what's your kids, family, friends, perception? The other one is for your spouse. How have I done in cultivating depth? How have I done in delighting in you? And if you're not married in here today, I, I, I would want to encourage you, A, just sit in the midst of the gospel and, and this and like just really saturate yourself of like the unconditional love of God because if you have a foundation for that, that is the healthiest, healthiest thing you're going to take into a marriage. And also look for a spouse that is doing the same. Look for a spouse that gets that, the unconditional love of the gospel because, again, that's where this is going to be created. And spouses, I want to encourage us to ask these questions, to go this way, and, and to feel the weight that our human marriages are meant to reflect the eternal marriage. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, first and foremost, we don't deserve this mystery but you graciously look upon us and you graciously choose us and you graciously woo us and bring us in. I praise you for that. 
Lord, I pray that first and foremost that your unconditional love towards us would just saturate our hearts. That your, your desire for depth with us and in tandem with that delight in us, that it would just saturate our hearts and that we would take the vulnerable steps of going there. I pray over just hurt in here that I know there, there has been from taking the steps of vulnerability. I pray that gospel light would speak in and heal, Lord, in the only way that you can. That these things of the heart would be brought up and pulled out and let gospel truth speak in. Let your word speak in in a way that nothing else in this world can. I pray that the marriage in this room could just be reflecting you, reflecting the eternal marriage that is to come one day, Lord. Praise you that you pursue us in depth and you delight in us in that process. Proud of this in your holy name. Amen.